For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Happy New Year. I'm so glad to be back with you. What are you focusing on for 2024? Globally, I'm hoping we can focus on peace. And personally, I'm I'm hoping to focus on scheduling better. <laughs> you know, last year, at the end of last year, I got pretty lax with the old podcast scheduling mm, discipline. And you might have noticed that they just the shows just turned up every so often. Well, guess what? We're back now on a schedule of weekly interviews. They've all been pre-recorded and they're all ready to go. So you can rely on me. <laughs> but how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? I actually loved what my mate Ursula de Castro shared on Instagram the other day. She wrote, New Year, same old me. <laughs> she talks about how January is like... We're supposed to set all these restrictive resolutions, disciplined regimes of going to the gym and giving up booze and taking up vegan diets, etc. But on the other hand, she writes, we're encouraged to just buy anything we bump into in the January sales. I resist both, says Ursula. <laughs> Effectively, every January we're told to reinvent ourselves, she wrote, and this really annoys me. What if instead we simply dedicate January to liking ourselves the way we are? <laughs> I like Ursula the way she is. If you don't follow her already, she is on Instagram at Ursula de Castro. And her genius book, Loved Clothes Lust, is one that I highly recommend. Okay, but maybe you're thinking about a resolution to cut your fashion consumption for 2024. This is actually very common around this time of year. So people go on a pause from buying fast fashion or maybe they only allow themselves to buy secondhand. Maybe it's just a season where they challenge themselves to press pause on their fashion consumption. If you've been thinking about this, then you're part of a, a movement, I think. I've really been seeing this stepping up in recent times. Why? Well, I mean, slowing down, buying less, wasting less, all good. You're going to save money, but I think it's also about reconnecting and feeling like you're taking your power back. Do you relate to that? I don't know. Actually, check out the British journalist Tiffany Dark. She's on Instagram at Tiff Dark with an E, D-A-R-K-E. She's an ex-fashion newspaper editor. I've followed her writing for years. And these days she co-owns a sustainable fashion boutique in Ibiza. Very glamorous. But in 2023, she encouraged her fashion friends to pledge to buy just five items of clothing all year. And she calls it the rule of five. And it really took off. Also last year, Marie Claire UK's sustainability editor, her name's Ali Head. I met her at a dinner once. She's fabulous. She also pledged to buy no new clothes for a whole year. And I'll share a link to her article about this, but she was inspired by the Code Red IPCC report about climate action. And she said, the message was clear. Act now before it's too late. Shop less and upcycle more. And so that's what I've done. What else? Older kind of challenges that have been around a bit longer. There's slow fashion season, which began in Amsterdam with a three-month fashion fast, maybe 2017, I'm going to say. They're in my book, Where Next? I talk to actually wonderful Pooja. She's one of their board members. She's a Mumbai-based community organiser. She's a great one to follow for tips on this. We'll share links in the show notes. 
But the earliest proponent that I came across with this whole shopping detox thing was the American minimalist Courtney Carver, who had this blog called Be More With Less. And it goes back to 2010. And her big idea was to choose 33, why? I don't know, 33 items and wear these for just three months. There's always a twist, right? Whatever recipe works, fine. Today, there are buy nothing new groups on Facebook. And there's like whole books out there on how to go cold turkey on consumerism. The list goes on. My guest this week for the first chat of 2024 is Jenna Flood. She's a slow fashion stylist who I've been watching last year share her tips and tricks with her followers in Melbourne, Australia, all around what she calls a wardrobe freeze. And we recorded this a couple of months ago and she was nearing the end of this. It was a 12-month challenge and she started it after creating a spreadsheet the year previously to track where her money was disappearing to. What she found was that she was overspending on ethical brands that she wanted to support. I really find this uh, an under-discussed conversation in our world. But also she reckons she was treating secondhand her words like it was fast fashion. So ultra high turnover. And it didn't help that she works in a consignment store. So she's surrounded by temptation. Anyone relate? (laughs) Have you been over the top on Depop? telling yourself that it's totally fine as long as it's thrifted. I feel like we all do this a bit, right? If you're into sustainable fashion, how do you define the guilt-free purchase? How much is too much when it comes to shopping, even if you are shopping through a sustainable lens? Jenna says that her challenge acted as a circuit breaker and left her feeling an unexpected sense of freedom. Okay, This is a cute one. I really enjoyed it. If it inspires you, please do drop us a line and let us know. You can find Jenna on Instagram. She's at Ironic Minimalist and I'm at Mrs. Press. Ready? Let's freeze that wardrobe. Welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast, Jenna Flood. Hello. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) No worries. On this rainy, rainy Melbourne morning. Beautiful Melbourne morning. (laughs) Okay. As I said in the intro, it feels like the idea of the no buy or reduced fashion consumption challenge is really getting people excited. Some are more extreme examples than others. I sent you this thing from the Australian ABC news channel about a woman in Gippsland who'd basically Mm. worn the same dress every single day for a hundred days straight. Just the same dress. I did say that, yes. Hanging (laughs) it up to air it. (laughs) But she did this to prove a point about consumption. And she reckoned that the best thing about that whole experience was the time it gave her to not have to think about what to put on in the morning. She just Mm. gained some time and freedom in her brain. What do you think? Yeah, I like that idea. That's the whole reason I have a small wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we begin, in the US, around 2,000 people took Remake's 90-day No New Clothes Challenge in 2023. Remake's like fashion revolution in the US, Mm. I guess, a consumer-focused campaign. It's amazing. We've had Aisha Barron-Blatt on the podcast before. She's the founder. So this challenge is about, I quote, pressing pause on the purchase of new clothing and instead reflecting on how to address overconsumption and make the fashion industry or remake the fashion industry as a force for good. You're doing it a bit differently. Jenna, what are you doing? So I'm not buying any clothing for a whole year. And I started on the first of this year and I end on the first of next year, basically. But also secondhand. I'm not buying anything at all. I can buy socks and underwear, but no new, no secondhand, no vintage. 
Why did you make your challenge rules so detailed? I felt like it was a bit of a recipe. Because I'm stubborn and I knew if I made loopholes, I'd exploit them. I knew I needed to make it tough on myself and I needed to tell people around me. Like I, I told my partner and on New Year's, on New Year's um, Eve, I was like, no more shopping for me. And I have a friend at work who I said to like, you know, if, if you see me trying to buy something, say no. If I make it accountable and show it to the world and then I stuff up, then... You know, I stuffed up. I can still keep going, but I just needed to make it solid. So my rules are for the clothing freeze, no buying clothing, secondhand included, no selling clothing and then buying something else for the trading credit because I work at a consignment store. So that's a lot of what I did. I can make my own clothing from fabric, but not, not upcycling old clothing. No accepting gifts from brands, friends, birthdays, gifts or the like. I can buy socks, underwear and PJs. Wow. Okay. What are you calling it? Just a wardrobe freeze, I guess. Wardrobe freeze. <laughs> yeah. So for a whole year. Yes. Now, Jenna, what do you actually do as a job? What's your relationship to fashion professionally? I am a personal stylist. I also work in a consignment store called Mutual Muse here in Melbourne. I guess I'm like an influencer, if I really want to use that word. You felt awkward <laughs> using it. I did, I did. We did an episode about the power of influence just recently. True, and true. I think we ought to embrace it because we've all got that power in some way and we've all got people around us who look to us and maybe get inspired by what we do, especially if it's good. True. I will embrace it then. <laughs> <laughs> micro-influencer. Yes, a micro-influencer. And, and I say that not to be like denigrating the number of followers, but there's a different way, yes. isn't there, when you're talking to a more niche audience, right? And you've got a sustainable fashion audience. Yes, yes. I like to think so. I share a little bit of writing about what I do, how to be a slow fashion advocate, basically. So, you know, how to care for our clothing, where to buy our clothing, um, what to look for with fabrics, that sort of thing is how to shop secondhand. What about that first rule then? No buying secondhand as well as new clothing. At the beginning, I was saying a lot of these challenges are about calling mm. or pressing pause on your fast fashion habit or your new clothing habit. A lot of the time I would buy secondhand items from an op shop and I would wear them a few times and then take them to work and sell them. I wasn't getting the chance to love them, get to know them. I wasn't giving them the chance they could have in my wardrobe. So they were, they were becoming fast fashion, basically. Even though we think we're in sustainability, we are potentially behaving like fast fashion maniacs mm -hmm. with secondhand stuff. Yes. Like there would be a sale on at the op shop, you know, $3 tops. Oh, I'll buy them. I'll wear them eventually. No, I didn't wear them. So I sold them and got money. I think this is interesting, Jenna. It's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this consumption paradigm that we find ourselves mm. in. It's easy to make excuses for yourself and mm. to say, well... It's okay if dot, dot, dot. And maybe it is. Maybe there are valid arguments to say that if you're consuming something, I'm going to say, if you're over consuming <laughs> something ethically made or secondhand, that's better than if it were from Shein. But actually, the psychology yes. of just more, more, more yes. and not connecting with stuff remains. Yes. And I don't think people ever think about that. And it's I, not like a get out for free yeah. pass, is it? And after a while, my life just felt like I was shopping. Just shopping, 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 like the chase of finding the perfect pants, the chase of going to the shop on the weekend to find the thing. Like it was just overconsuming me. And I was like, well, well, I don't do anything else but shop. I needed a break from it. And that that little hamster in my mind was always like, where can we get the perfect pants? Where can we get those brown pants we saw on that person? Like just kept going and going and going. And, you know, like late at night scrolling on your phone trying to find the thing to buy. It was too much. I needed a break from it. 
Let's just talk a bit more about the context and why, Jenna, you're not alone in doing something like this. What are the broader benefits of pressing pause on buying fashion, especially when it comes to new clothes? The broader benefits. All right. So, well, you mentioned Remake and they have that challenge, that counter on their website that tots up the environmental savings of people doing the challenge. When I checked, 1,890 people had signed up and they reckon they have saved close to 17,000 kilos of textile waste, which is a lot. A lot. And something like 375 kilograms of CO2 emissions. We talked about doing this beforehand, Jenna sharing the stats. Thank you for doing that. I think it's actually one of the reasons that people might decide to do something like this because if we can quantify our environmental mm. impact or our footprint of overconsuming, then we get a shock, right? And sometimes numbers don't mean things to people. You know, maybe, you know, when you hear that 17,000 kilos, you, it feels like a lot, but I don't know, you can't visualise it. But for others, those numbers do speak to yes. our grotesque excess, yes. don't they? People see, think about numbers. I always think about this TV show, War on Waste, that I saw a few years ago. Um, it's an Australian TV show and there was a man standing on a pile of clothing that we send to landfill every 10 minutes and it just shocks me. No one even knew. Yeah, it's like a mountain. Yes, a mountain of clothing. I kept thinking about it and I was like, well, I, do I do that? Actually, I'm just going to share this because it's it's timely. The reason I'm in Melbourne is because I've been speaking at an industry conference. The Australian Fashion Council, which is our peak fashion body here, has just put out the first of its kind report that really looks at the accurate details as to how much clothing mm. we're consuming and wasting in Australia. Before that, I used to go and do presentations and I would always say, Australians are the second largest consumers of clothing after North Americans. And then I'd do this thing, like I'd show a slide and I'd go, on average per capita, we consume 28 kilos of clothing. Mm. Guess how much we send to landfill. And then I would wait for the gasps when people guessed and the next slide showed 25. But actually those stats came from the 90s. Yeah. And until recently, we had no idea. Yes, they'd been able to... I don't know. I don't even think those were on waste stats are actually right. But now we know because this huge study was undertaken with QUT, Queensland University, and a lot of different stakeholders feeding in this data. And I now can tell you with confidence that Australians are sending 200,000 tonnes of clothing and textiles to landfill every year. It's actually completely mad. So we all know that around the world it's the same story. We're over-consuming and underusing our clothes, we're buying too much. But the numbers are actually completely bananas and we do need to do something about it. Do you, do you think that the wardrobe freeze is one of the things we can do? <laughs> I think, yes, it doesn't have to be extreme, but it's just about thinking what you are purchasing and why you are purchasing it and how you're looking after your clothing and how you're wearing your clothing. It's literally as simple as that. That's why I did the challenge, to figure out why I'm doing this, like why... I sell my clothing so fast, why I don't give it enough love. Like I thought I was sustainable, but when I look at my values, they're not matching up with my wardrobe. So I just needed to stop and pause and think about it. Yeah. You talk about a circuit breaker on your website. Yeah. I just needed a circuit breaker. It challenges your habit, right? Yeah. I needed to change my habits. I couldn't keep the hamster wheel of looking for new things to buy and I couldn't like when something came in at work, I got so excited and I'd like hide it under the desk, like mine, 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 mine. And then I'd wear it a few times and then sell it back to the shop. Like, how's that love with my clothing? How? Can we talk about the money? Yes, we can talk about the money. So I've been tracking my clothing spending for three years now, roughly, like I'm not perfect with it. And this year I spent um, over $10,000. It's ridiculous. 
$10,000. Yes. How ridiculous is that? Can I ask you how old you are, Jenna? I am 34. So $10,000 seems like a truckload of yep. money to be spending on fashion. Yep. Well, the thing is, I shopped a lot of secondhand, but then I got a little bit uh, happy with money that wasn't even my own. I started buying from local fashion brands, which is fine in itself, but I was treating it like a purchase every single weekend. So I was buying like a $150 top every weekend and like $700 jacket. Without asking you to divulge too much about your own financial circumstances, is that disproportionate amount when it comes to your disposable income? Yes, so much more. I mean, spending... $700 on a jacket is way over my weekly income because I only work casually three days a week and sometimes get paid for, you know, events. But I still have the jacket. I still wear it. But it's spending that money in the time. A few things here. First of all, you were thinking ahead because you had the wherewithal to track it on a spreadsheet, <laughs> which I think is unusual. <laughs> but I look at the tr spreadsheet now and like, oh my, like some months I'd buy one or two things and then other months it's like seven or ten things. Why did you decide to put it all down and take note of it? I'm not really sure. I just felt like it. I was tracking Because you could I, see you had a problem yeah, with it. Yeah, I guess. And like the previous years, they're not recorded correctly, but I was only spending like... 3000 4500 like... So you could see that like, you were spending more and more. Yeah. Okay. Then, Listeners, please do write to us and tell us what you think about how much you spend on clothing proportionate to your discretionary or disposable income. Like, if you can afford it, are you spending all your stuff on clothes? Or if you can't afford it, are you spending on credit on clothes? And if that sounds like I'm trying to... I don't want to make you feel guilty... And I also want us to talk about our privilege, Jenna, mm. because when you told me this, I said, oh, my God, like if I did that, which I never have, if I made a spreadsheet of what I'd spent over my life in fashion, I'd be horrified. I know it because I've made a load of extremely stupid purchases mm. in my past because of the pressure that I felt of being in this fashion world, going yes. to fashion shows, going to Milan, yes. sitting at the whatever it is. I told you a story about being in Milan when I was working in magazines and then going to Prada and buying brand new trainers that were incredibly expensive that I could not afford, but that I just felt like everyone's got them. I want, I need them. Yeah. I wouldn't do it now. And, and actually, there's more than one of those items lurking in my cupboards. I share your feelings. It's like we care what people think, but they don't care what we look like half the time no, no one could care less no. no one's thinking oh wow your trainers cost a lot of money and if they no. are they're probably thinking you idiot why didn't you <laughs> save that money for your future most likely <laughs> but but let's just talk about privilege because mm. if you're listening to this thinking how disgusting that you're wasting all that money I don't have it to waste mm. yeah like it definitely is a privilege I spent a lot of years making my wardrobe how I want it to be but you know, I kind of thought I was helping people and small brands by buying the clothes, which I am, I'm, you know, I am helping them, but it, it costs me. And there is a lot of privilege in that because I have the time and the money and the energy to go out and do this. Like, you know, I work at a secondhand shop, so I get first pick of these sort of things. But at the end, like, I don't even know. it. So there's a few things here that I think are worth unpacking. One is this idea that we vote with our dollar for the sustainable option that we want to thrive in the future. So we say that, don't we? Like, yeah. move your money. Don't mm. give it to this brand. Give it to this brand. But actually can overdo that, can't yes. you? And where is the balance between making a better decision, either or, on a product? And what you just said there, where you thought you were doing a good thing by yeah. pouring your money that really you didn't have to spare into 
stuff you didn't really need. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about the podcast we did way back in the first <laughs> series with um, with the Australian economist who wrote a book called Affluenza, where he talks about the definition <laughs> of stupidity, <laughs> but just like buying things you can't afford yes. with money you don't have to impress people you don't know who won't care. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. 100%. That, that, I feel like that phrase is me right now. No one cared that I had a $700 jacket. What is this bloody jacket anyway? Oh, can I mention the brand? Or? Yeah. It's Caves Collect. And it's a beautiful, it's beautiful. What's that? It's a Caves Collect is a local Melbourne brand in Fitzroy, yeah, made here. And it's a beautiful linen jacket. And it's beautifully crafted. There's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just so ridiculously that I, I went there to get one pair of pants and walked out with a jacket and a pair of pants. So it's just spending that amount of money in a short time. Let's talk about how you feel in two points of this story. Mm. How do you feel now that you've had this circuit breaker? But how did you feel when you just dropped that cash and spent that money? Because is there a kind of rush of guilt that comes with it? Oh, it was like, I really don't need this. I really want this at the time. I bought this. I'm in the car with this. Oh, my God, what have I done? Don't tell Julian to my sister. But I, I'm, I ask you because I relate to it. Like there's a sort of, you know, the voice in your head who is, yeah. I don't know what the psychologist term for it is, <laughs> but, you know, it's not your conscience, but it's like this little voice you use to justify stuff in your head. So you'll start going, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. And then the voice makes you feel yep. bad. And then the voice starts going, oh, sod it, do what you want. You've yep. done it. Just yep. own it. Just be proud. Yes. And like I was <laughs> and like, that goes over yes. it. It's awful. I had no navy pants. So I was like, oh, I should buy more colour. Navy is a colour apparently. And then the linen jacket was something I had wanted. And they kept saying, last one available, you know, like that, that sort of last thing available. You have to buy it now. Like, and my brain was like, oh, my God, it's never going to come back. It's still on the website. <laughs> but do you feel differently now yes. that you've had this time to reflect? 100%. It's not saying I'd never buy another $700 jacket, but I would think about it a bit more and I would save towards it rather than splashing the cash straight away like that that I definitely didn't have at the time. As much as I do want to support sustainable brands and stuff like that, I need to take it slower. Whose responsibility is it to support sustainable brands? And I'm sure that there are people listening who run these brands who want us to be their customers, and rightly so. But I don't know. It's really difficult, isn't it? I, mm. I never really thought about that feeling of you're doing good because you are supporting the smaller indie label. But then at the same time, actually, I'll tell you what this makes me think about. <laughs> I once interviewed this woman. She's called Tamara de Martina. She's in my first book about sustainability, and she's the founder of Buy Nothing New Month, which mm. is also from Melbourne, actually, but became a global phenomenon. Mm. And I interviewed her for that book, and I wrote a story about her for the newspaper here. And I got quite a lot of backlash from oh. fashion brands and industry oh. people saying at the time, it was only like a long time ago, before this had taken off, 2015. And People were quite cross. They were like, hang on a minute. I thought you're supposed to support this industry. What kind of future would we have as independent designers or people trying to create worlds without, you know, people who are not big corporate business? If you all decided to stop shopping, retail would crash. We'd all have no income. I thought you supported us creatively. This is just annoying. Wow backlash like people yeah but I can't support these brands alone <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but, but, but is it that you know you're a one person one person yeah. taking a break is not going to change the whole thing no I don't think it will I mean like these brands usually push the agenda of we should buy once in a while it's an investment and it is yes like I wasn't treating these items as investments but is it that we've just got too many brands yes 
<laughs> I mean, there's so many good brands out there and I love them all, but I cannot support you all. I'm so sorry. I would love to, but I guess I can also support you in other ways. That is why I have my, you know, fast fashion workshops. I'm like, here is a good brand. They do good things with fabric. And this is why this brand is good as well, because they do things with fabric. If you're looking to buy an in jacket that you don't want to fall apart in two seconds, look at this brand. Um, you know, some of these brands do have sales or discounts that can help, but I'm not saying buy them every single month. Just use them investments. And then you're like, oh, I've got this great brand in my wardrobe. That's an investment piece. And I pair it with this just secondhand find. And that's great. Why else do you think this is a worthwhile thing to do? On your website, you say, imagine if you could replicate the joy you get from buying new things with the wardrobe you already have. I hear this thing about shop your wardrobe. Mm. Sometimes it sounds daft to me, but I guess if you've got a lot of things, well, how does it work? I actually hired a stylist in February. I'm a stylist. I hired a stylist. What? Um, but I wanted a different eye on my wardrobe because I've seen it so many times. I wanted someone to come in and be like, this and this and this. And that's exactly what we did. We made a whole video on it. But I just needed someone else's eye. I don't even know how many looks we made. We made so many looks and a huge mess. But it made me think a bit more about what was in my wardrobe and how I could pair things because you get stuck in the same run. You're like, top jeans, top jeans. And it's like, well, add another layer, add a necklace, this sort of thing. And I never realized how many things were in my wardrobe that I could pair together, learn the rules, then break them all. As a stylist, when I was learning, it was always like, you know, wear this thing to accentuate your waist or if you're this size, don't wear this sort of thing, like wear them, just break it. I, I think my favorite one that I always tell people is pattern clash just do it. I see, especially around fashion week, people wearing the most insane outfits and they look like they just rolled in their wardrobe and then got out. But it looks so good the way they sort of mix patterns together. And like the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. So if you're like, oh, I'm never going to wear florals and stripes, just do it and step out even for an hour. Like, so learn all those rules and then take them apart and break them apart. And if you're drawing inspiration from people, just look like, don't be like, oh, I want that shoe that they're wearing. But like, how do they wear this shoe? Like, you know, how do they roll the hem? How do they roll their sleeve? Like, how do they layer the jacket over? Like, it's such simple things like that. And then do that with what you already have. Yes. I saw this really cool person on the tram and they were wearing all these amazing brands. And I was like, oh my God, I love you so much. And then I went home. I'm like, right, I can make this look from my wardrobe. And I did. Sure, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was my touch on their look. Just look inspiration everywhere, like even the shop window. Like, I'm not buying your crap. I'm going to go make it myself. You did a collaboration with a woman called Emma who calls herself a broke generation on yes. Instagram. Tell us about that because you're not the only one who wastes money on no, clothes. No, I love Emma. She's great. So Emma Edwards, she is a financial behaviour expert. Emma is also doing a wardrobe freeze. Her rules are slightly different to mine. I reached out to her and then from that, she reached out to me again and was like, hey, let's do a wardrobe challenge for other people together. We encourage people to freeze their wardrobes for a month and we led the group challenge on Facebook. 30 to 50 people, I think, joined in. It was from all over the world as well. Hopefully we'll hold it again in the future as well. People already want to do it again. They like that it's a circuit breaker and that stops and it helps them reassess and other people joining in and sharing their outfits was just, I, I loved it so much. What do you think the main challenges are? What gets in the way of people doing it? I think um, what gets in the way is either people just, you know, buy something and then fail and think they can't do it um, or they think that they don't have enough clothing, which they usually do that stat that people only wear like 20% of their wardrobe and they're like oh I always need new clothes coming in what else am I going to do like I remember when I was starting to study at university and they all had us do this exercise and put a little name tag on and like what's the thing you're best at and I said shopping oh yeah 
As in what's your... That's my identity. What's the thing you're best at as in shopping. connecting with people or... Shopping cooking, was my thing. Shopping. Yeah. And then the person on the microphone was like, oh, don't write shopping. And I was like, what well, else am I good at? It. Hang on a minute. Because it's common. Yeah. Because lots of people on this so side course might says, have said shopping. Yeah. So when you say don't shop, what do you do? What do you do? And I, that's, that was me for a while. I was like, who am I going to be if I don't shop? I work in a you know, consignment shop, like what, what am I going to be? So it's like taking identity away from yourself because you pride yourself on the bargains you get. You pride yourself on the dress when someone says, hey, great dress, where'd you get it from? Oh, I got it from the op shop. Oh, I got it from this place. Like you pride yourself on that. So what are you when it's taken away? I think some people will listen to this and go, you are bananas. Yeah. Well, how can you possibly define yourself by shopping? How can this be something that you're the best thing, you're the thing you're the greatest at is buying stuff? Well, when I was young, so that was the best thing I could do. Um, coming from a small town, we didn't have shopping centres in my small town. So when I had a full wage and moved to a larger city, I bought a lot of clothing. Then I moved to Melbourne and you have DFOs. So I went What's insane. DFOs? A DFOs, discount factory outlet. So lots of things, lots of cheap. So actually, this is interesting. If you live in a big city, or you travel a lot, you're always surrounded by temptation, mm. so much retail, everything. I find it extremely overwhelming yes. that there's just shopping everywhere. I feel like shopping's an onslaught. And this is to do with my position in life, as in I'm getting older, I've moved into sustainability out of working in glossy magazines. I I'm very political. So I find it almost like an affront. I'm so sick of shops being everywhere. Yes. I feel like get out of trying to sell me things. <laughs> like Instagram drives me mad. Everyone's trying to flog me something. I don't want to buy it. Go no. away. So there's that for me. But what you were describing is also extremely relatable, but the opposite end. Lots of people don't have any of that. If you live in a more rural place, if you're I would say lucky enough not to be <laughs> surrounded by all this stuff, then the novelty factor is much higher, but also it doesn't feel lucky, does it? It feels like you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the same as you now. I went to, um, overseas for Vietnam and Bangkok as well. And just so much stuff to shop, but I was in those places because it's really hot in Bangkok. It was so hot. So we went in those places to escape the heat and I wasn't shopping. So I wasn't I buying the anything. Malls. Yeah, yeah. Aircon malls. They were so nice in there, <laughs> but they're so big. Yeah. There's so much stuff to do. But back when you were growing up in Tasmania, yeah. It, you feel like you're missing out when you don't have access to all this stuff when you're a teenager, right? It's yeah. different now, I guess, with online, but... Yeah, well, we didn't really have online. No, no there was like... pre in. I mean, there was a bit of eBay, but I didn't really buy clothes on it, you know. I did shop a little bit secondhand when I was younger, but I remember um, ripping up my jeans so I could look like in the Dolly or the Girlfriend magazine, Australian magazines. I remember ripping up my jeans and then going to see my cousin and she's like, why did you rip your jeans? I'm like, because it's cool. Like in the magazine. But so you sort of, you found a skill and it is a skill actually yes. to be able to trace down the hot thing. That's what stylists do. And that's, I mean, yeah. I always think I've got that skill in secondhand shops as well. <laughs> I can find it. I do still have that kind of sense of pride. <laughs> yes, it's a sense of pride when I you find think, the clothing. Let me merchandise this shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't have that identity anymore. I'm not a shopping person anymore. But when you think about it and you're younger, it kind of becomes your identity because it's what you do every weekend. Because, Jenna, of course, this is the culture that we find ourselves in. We are in a culture of late stage mm. capitalism where consumerism is ever present. Yes. And it's not just me that feels that everyone's always trying to sell us something. Actually, that's just how our methods of interaction work. And I say that because even social stuff is shopping. 
Yeah, that's what I, I also mean. transactional, right? When I also suggest people like, you know, do a wardrobe freeze or just stop shopping for a bit, change that habit. Like, you know, oh, what do you want to do for the weekend? Oh, let's go have a look at the mall. Let's go do this. Even just meeting in town. Yeah, just you may go have a coffee, but you still else. get seduced yes. by the retail, right? Yes. Go somewhere else. Go for a bushwalk. Go to the library. Go away from the mall. Because when you're not near these things, it's easier. My whole slow fashion adventure started when I watched The Minimalists documentary. And I know it sounds really weird, but it just felt like pieces were falling into place for me. I didn't need that much. When I started researching uh, zero waste, and that was like veganism as well. And then like slow fashion came along, like, you know, where are things are coming from, where they go, who's making them, so that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, oh, oh no. Mm. And then I, you know, experimented with zero waste. What was it about that film? People often tell me that the true cost woke them up to fashion oh, issues. Yeah. But what did you like about The Minimalists? The Minimalist is a documentary made by two American guys and they talk about having less stuff and how they were top of the world in their corporate lives and then they started getting sick and their parents were sick and they were like, this is just too much and they just stepped away from it and, and sort of owned less basically. And I know it sounds very privileged, but it struck a chord with me. It's also for them about control, isn't it? For different reasons. I think one of them had addiction issues, but yes. for different reasons, they felt like their lives were spinning out of control and that their overconsumption was part of that story. Yes. It is good, that documentary, actually. I do like it. You know, it's, it's not the perfect world we live in, but I think it just started me researching into things like owning less and then where does that stuff come from? Um, and then also what, what am I eating? And then, you know, where are things made? Like it all connected. It just all connected for me. And um, I watched a documentary like three times in one day <laughs> just to sort of dig deeper. They do, I think. And it's no secret that I'm not a fan of those two, actually, because I watched them I paid for a ticket to watch them in a theatre when they came to Australia and I was disappointed in them. But I will say what I liked about them was how they questioned the kind of core, quite American ideal that having more and more and more, the dream of aspiration mm -hmm. and getting more stuff is where happiness lies and they're like, not for us. Yes. We found so much more joy and connection and I guess just happiness in having less and forcing yourself to look elsewhere. I like that. But then when I saw them talk at this show, I felt really disappointed that they stopped with get rid of everything and they hadn't mm. gone the next step, which was, what are you going to do with it? And <laughs> I was saying to you, Jenna, before we were doing this, that Marie Kondo makes me feel the same, that it stops with the self. So it's yeah. like, you're going to be happier if you get rid of all this clutter. Yeah. Job done. And it's like, no, hang on. <laughs> Wait. Where does it go when you get rid of it? And there's yeah. a bit actually in the Marie Kondo book where she advises, or I don't know if she's advising or just telling a story of a client, but it's with glee that she's like, and then we put like seven or 12 <laughs> plastic sacks on the street. I was like, that's not good. What? You yeah. <laughs> Someone has to take responsibility for these things, which you and I know. Yeah. yeah. But so, how did you then get to that point? So yeah, that bit doesn't, the throwing out of things didn't really Because it doesn't make stop, me happy. does it there? No, because <laughs> no, where does it go? I like to research. I like to know things. So I just kept researching and I kept talking about it. And at the same time, I um, had already started fashion and textile merchandising. So I'd been exposed to supply chains and I'd also actually been to China and seen factories, but I was still young and I sort of really know what I was looking at and how things worked. I was also working in retail, fast fashion, lots of clothes, but then I started um, studying styling, personal styling. And 
I noticed not many people were talking about where our clothing comes from and where it goes. So I was just talking about how to buy it and how to wear it. So I was like, all right, I know a bit about this. I'll start talking about it. And then people were like, oh, and they were talking about it too. And then I found more people talking about it, including you, Claire. And I was like, there's a whole community out there. I'm not the only one. I was learning along the way. But then I sort of noticed that styling communities were talking about the same thing and they weren't just all about buying new and wearing new. They were like, you know, here's some secondhand things and this is a vintage shop in Melbourne. So I found that really exciting. Jenna, do you think that there is a responsibility for stylists to start educating themselves and their clients about sustainability? I think education should start like in primary school. I would love for not sewing classes per se, but just textile classes. Like this is what polyester is made from. This is how your supply chain works. I didn't discover this, this stuff until I was like well into my 20s. And now I know this thing, all these things and I think about what I purchased back in the past. I'm like, oh my God, if I'd have known, I wouldn't have purchased half of it. I think stylists need to be like, look, here is this brand. Here's what it does. Here's this brand. This is polyester. This is what it's made from. Not, I'm not telling you what to buy. Here are your choices. Here's something for your budget that is made from natural fabric. Here's where we can get rid of it. Here's where we can sell your clothes. Like things like that. It's so simple. Instead of take the bag to the op shop because op shops don't always sell all their clothing. And we all know where that goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you're listening to this and you would like to join the, I think we can call it a movement towards <laughs> buying less or taking a challenge for a wardrobe freeze or similar, what advice would you give them and what lessons have you learned? So I would just say stop. Just stop for a month. Just try a month at least. And just stop and look at your habits. Like, are they going to the mall with your friends on the weekend? How can you change that? Can you go for a walk in the park? Can you read a book? Can you cook something really nice? Oh, replacing the buzz with another buzz, right? Yes. So it's not deprivation. Also, another thing you can do is swap your clothing with friends or share someone's wardrobe because then you still get that buzz and you still get the new thing. There's also so many rental services out there. I work for a company called Inro who gives you a box of clothing that's all secondhand every month and you get to start that and play around with it. And, you and just, then send it back. Yeah, and then you send it back. You don't even have to wash it. And that's here in Melbourne. Little things like that, like, you know, renting from clothing, like renter. The, the whole point also of this challenge was to step outside the buying aspect of things. I'm going to borrow, borrow clothing from my sister, borrow from your partner's wardrobe. Like it's, it's all there for the taking, if I may say. And it gives you that buzz of new things. It's just thinking outside the box. I know that's such a common saying, but when you really start to think about how you can't buy things, like remember in the days of the pandemic and we're like, what are we going to do? I can't go to the shops. Then I'd look around my house and be like, oh, there's that thing I could do the thing with. And I'm like, well, this is kind of the same in a way. Yeah, like, constraint can yes. breathe. So if you make those constraints, creativity. how can you get creative with it? And like even me hiring a stylist, you don't need to do that. But you just need to look in your wardrobe with a different eye. Like get a friend over, have like a fun wine party with cheese or whatever and just look in your wardrobe a different way because you really don't know what you're going to find. Sometimes you just need someone's eye. Like, And it's so creative and freeing and saves you money. And and I know that if something is should be in my wardrobe, it's going to come to me in the future. Like clothes are circular. Everything I wore when I was young is back in fashion. If I want to wear it again, it's out there somewhere. And it will probably be in a secondhand shop because everything goes there. <laughs> I'm not missing out on anything. I don't feel like I'm missing. No one has said to me, ha ha, you're wearing that twice. I've got a washing machine. I'm going to wash it. 
It's just the pressure that we're placed under to buy new things constantly, even when you're in the sustainability space, like as I was talking before about supporting those small brands, like the pressure to do that and that little mouse inside my head that's always like running the wheel constantly. It's so much pressure. I'm like constantly scrolling, trying to find the perfect pants or the perfect thing. It's it's mind-blowing and to step outside that is so freeing, to say no thank you to that item that come across the desk at work that I'm buying for the shop. To say, no, thank you, I don't need you and walk away. Honestly, it's so freeing. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've inspired some people to give up shopping, Jennifer. <laughs> I hope so. Just for a little bit, please try it. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram, at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Love you.